This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of The Full Ride on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined, as I am, twice a week by fellow North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good afternoon. How are you? Nighthawk's in the house, man. How you doing this this afternoon? I had to look down, because I was like, am I wearing a Nighthawk shirt today? No, I'm not. I'm wearing a Braves shirt. Um... <laughs> Yeah, because the Dodgers won and the Braves did not, Matt. I mean, I'm happy for Clayton Kershaw. I feel like he's gotten uh, a bad rep for the playoff stuff because obviously he's had his, his blow-up starts here and there, but dude's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. I was glad for him to get that monkey off his back, but uh, couldn't help but feeling like the Braves should be the team uh, celebrating on that field. It was weird because I had this this moment where I, I I don't know if you're like this, but I'll look at my Twitter and I'll just be like, do I want to tweet this? Do I want to tweet this? Do I want to bring this into my life? Because I was so annoyed at the Braves fans for how they were just dancing on the grave of the Dodgers when they were up a couple games to one and just note the national media hates us and just dunking on all these analysts for picking the Dodgers over the Braves and they don't know anything. There's no respect. And Joe Buck clearly hates Atlanta and LA this LA that. And then obviously the Dodgers win that series and then they win the world series. Um, I was tempted to quote tweet um, certain people um, who just like went at me for pushing back against this and just calling them weirdos because it was just weird, and the insecurity just really bothered me um, from across the the whole Atlanta fan base for that, and it was really <laughs> off-putting. So um, I wanted the Rays to win, but I did like the Dodgers actually ended up winning, so the Braves lost the eventual champion. But, um, yeah, uh, Braves fans, it uh, no one hates you. The national media doesn't hate you. There's no – the fix is not in. Um, your weirdness of putting on the, the local broadcast because you just can't take the, the national – the national guys. Um, I don't know. I, I will say I can oh, no. I, I can agree with that in some in some instances. Like the national like the Sunday night baseball crew on ESPN is like terrible. Like with Alex Rodriguez and that it's like it's like they're just having a talk show and you should be <laughs> just happy that your team they're gonna mention your team's game that's happening right now. It's like it's so weird how they how they just kind of talk and don't even really pay attention to the game. It's like, I hate when analysts are like, you know, people should be talking about this guy more. You know, it's like, you're that person. Talk <laughs> about him more, and then he'll be talked about, you know. But, no, fans fans love to say that the announce, national announcers hate him and all that. I will say 
the as far as the experts not picking them, it wasn't that they just experts just didn't pick them. It was like they they dismissed them. Like they didn't even really just how do I they feel like they didn't really them? give the Braves a, a, a shot. Like they didn't seriously even like break down the series. It was just like, oh yeah, Dodgers, Dodgers and five. Give Dodgers me an example. You know what I mean? Who did that? What baseball well, writer games, did that? After no, it was that that Fox crew. After the uh, after the Braves won game one against the Dodgers, they were picking the scores of game two. David Ortiz said the score of game two was going to be like fourteen to three, and it's like, who predicts a score <laughs> like fourteen to three ever in baseball? It's just a weird well, thing. Also to just do. predicting scores in baseball is just weird as hell. Anyway, it is weird. And in also, general. maybe that's part of it. Is there's a disconnect between. Um, former players who are now talking heads on television versus the baseball writers who predicted the Dodgers to win that series. There's a very fine line between the fangraphs.com writers and uh, the David Ortiz's of the world. But it also felt like everyone's going to pick the Dodgers, and they're like the best team. Because they should have. The Dodgers spent more, and they're better. That's a, the, can I finish? Can I finish my statement? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like I, everyone's gonna pick the Dodgers. They're like the best team in baseball. But um, it felt like no one even really gave the Braves a shot. Like they weren't the second best team in the National League. Like literally the entire year. You know what I mean? It's not like they were like a fluky team that kind of made a run to the, fluky. to the NLCS. I mean, you didn't. They expect had one it. starting pitcher. Exactly, you didn't expect it, but they had one starting pitcher essentially the whole season. Right, and that's they why you still, shouldn't believe in them. That was the whole point. There was still a lot of reasons second, not to believe in them. But they still had the second best record the entire season. That's but all. There I'm was saying. a huge drop off. There was a huge. The Dodgers ended up this postseason and regular season combined. I think they were they only lost one series this whole season. I think they lost one. Of course, the Dodgers are sick. I'm just saying it could have been a more. The Braves could have gotten more oh, national. God. I mean, they literally did have the National League MVP like on their team, and that doesn't that they doesn't even have include any, the guy. Close to the talent that the Dodgers did as a whole. Top That's to bottom, true, but team. they had the National League MVP on their team. That doesn't include the guy that almost won the Triple Crown, and mm. that doesn't include the guy Ronald Acuna, who's maybe the best player in all of baseball, like the next coming of Mike Trout. So it's like the Braves' offense was ridiculous this year, and I just mm-hmm. felt like like the national media put them aside a little bit but i'm not i wasn't one of these that was watching the local broadcast i think john smoltz does like as good of a job as anyone in the business so noted uh, braves uh, hater john smoltz right we all know that john smoltz doesn't like the braves never has (laughs) why i went to st louis after what 18 years of the braves I just, I'm, I'm glad it's over. Um, but anyway, um, on to next year. Hopefully, a more normalized and better season. And you know what? Um, maybe the Braves will spend more and uh, do things when you lose your best starting pitcher for the season and you trade for Lance Lynn, so you're not in that position down three one to blow it because you ran out of starting pitching. So maybe do but, that. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of factors there. Soroka getting hurt and yes, you Cole Hamill's one yeah, year deal just on stealing money. Yeah, but I mean that's what happens. That cost you know, in the series that... that literally cost in the series because they had to throw Kyle Wright out there again, and they were just limited down the stretch in that series. That if they had just traded for somebody like Lance Lynn, who could have gone in there in those important games, yeah, that but I mean, changes like, the series. Anybody there? I feel like the Soroka injury is tough. Like that. That's so what you, they're. If you are planning on contending, you make a move to alleviate that. You don't just say fuck it. Of course, but the Braves, 
Hey, they've been making some great moves lately, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize the Braves. Like everyone hates like waiting, do it. waiting on the prospects. Like, oh, why are we waiting on prospects? It's like Nick Marcus was playing important. These prospects you were waiting on were, were were Max Freed and Mike Soroka, and these guys are turning into stars. Ozzy Albie's Ronald Acuna. So I can't hate on what the Braves are doing. Austin Every Braves fan noted ninth hitter. Austin Riley. And the ninth hitter, Austin Riley was solid. It was, was a good awful. defensive player. Are you player. joking? Austin Riley was awful. You have to look at his entire... I'm saying he, he he's was not, awful. He's a low average guy that's got some power. It's like he's the ninth hitter. He's He wasn't great. He was really good defensively this he year. He was a lot better defensively than I thought he'd be. But um, yeah, no. He... Uh, just, I, it's, we can, I trust we can the Braves. Every Braves fan, myself included, wanted Josh Donaldson back. And we wanted to give him four years. Get Josh Donaldson back in this team. They didn't do it. Marcel Azuna almost hits for the triple crown. And they're like, just obviously, we, we all I, They're not going to extend it. Out. There's no way they're keeping Azuna. There's a chance. He's no. the, he didn't Probably not because he balled out so much. And the Braves but, are uh, like, oh, we can't, we can't keep this thing going. What, what, why would we do that? We have Christian Pache. We can't do that. We can't block him. Let's just keep going the I cheap mean, route. Let's. They're gonna, uh, have to, they're gonna have to pay all these, uh, all these homegrown talent they got though. Who? But I'm, I've already paid Albies and Acuna. I'm talking Freed, Soroka. Like you're gonna have to. Well, that's you're gonna have that's to down the line. Them. That's down the line. They're not there yet. I mean, they're almost there, but no, arbitration eligible. Like that's gonna, they still have a couple of years on those two guys. Um, all right. Well, this is not a Braves podcast. We actually will have nah. John Taylor on uh, after this to talk about the World Series, where we will get more into the the baseball thing. But uh, this is a college football uh, centric episode of the pod, and uh, you can listen on Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. Go check out TracyThomasPodcast dot com. Um, what did you read leading up to this week, Matt Green? What have you been diving into to prepare for this week's show i feel like uh all you all i can be uh i keep getting bombarded with uh covid news man i feel like that's really stealing the headlines this week with wisconsin and florida i just uh (laughs) yeah justin turner didn't even think of that that was kind of wild too i uh you expect that from uh from an atlanta franchise not not from uh los angeles Good luck, Dave Roberts. Um, yeah, that's hey, here's what it is. I mean, I feel like I'd be look. right there with them. It's like this I think you got to celebrate the World Series. Yeah, they're they're. I'm sure they're gonna get fined or something. No, I mean, fine. Uh, not I would a, probably suspend Turner next year. I would suspend him for um, I don't know how long, but I would suspend him for a while. I would give. I would level a pretty heavy suspension on him. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I that's I that feel like bullshit. Like he yeah. came back out without a bat. Like it's just uh, that graphic of he has COVID and then like him kissing his wife with the COVID. Like it's just what in the hell are we doing? Um, yeah. Where are we at pick wise as we uh, get ready for this week's uh, pick? Why are we jumping into the picks right no, now? No, no, no. I just want a reminder. Or do you want to get to news before we get into that? Yeah, let's uh, let's go with the news. All right. Uh, positive news. Uh, Nebraska, Wisconsin's off, and that's positive for one team in particular, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who will now avoid starting the season 0-2. So kudos to Scott Frost and his program for avoiding a horrible 0-2 start in an eight-game season. They'll uh, they'll postpone the inevitable. I don't know if they're going to avoid an 0-2 start, but it's not going to happen to them this week. Well, they're not making up the game. You saw that. I did. So that's that's probably the worst part of of all of this that the big 10 did is we can't even 
we there we're not even postponing it's just a straight up cancel like that's uh that's really unfortunate that, that's and that kind of thing could cost like we just have such an opinion of Ohio State it probably won't cost Ohio State you know if they got two games canceled and they're five and oh everyone's like well yeah but they're sick though put them in there it's like I want national but, champion six and oh Ohio State I'm ready for it but yeah, I mean, someone like Wisconsin, if they go like five and zero, or if they went four and zero and lost to Ohio State in like a close game in the Big Ten championship, it's like, well, uh, you only played like five games. I can't put you in there. So I wonder if this could, uh, if this could really hurt some teams in the Big Ten. I mean, I don't think anyone's a realistic playoff contender outside of Ohio State. Maybe Michigan. They looked Wisconsin good last is, week. But Wisconsin could be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting what they do moving forward. A happy story, speaking of Michigan, Michigan Wolverines football fan who threatened to harm Ohio State players got sentenced today. He's going to prison for a year. So how did he threaten them, like, on, on Twitter or something? Or, like, uh, he for real threatened up. someone, like, in person? <laughs> He, federal judge Algin Marbley had harsh words for Rippy during Tuesday sentencing done by a video conference. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, it was Facebook Messenger to threaten a shooting. Yeah, he threatened a shooting at Ohio oh, State man. during its annual game against Michigan. Wow, that's some that's some psycho stuff right there. That sounds like some Iron Bowl stuff right there. I didn't, you don't hear that from Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, this dude... I, He's only 29, but he said he was having a bad day, and he promised it would never happen again. I don't think that's a bad oh, well, that's day. There's still, a diff- that's okay, then. It's just a bad day. Everything's fine. <laughs> I just I just threatened, like, a 19-year-old in his DMs. Like, what's, what's the big deal? That is um, – clearly, he has mental health issues that I hope he gets help with, and he's getting, like, time served because he's been in jail for, like, the last 10 months because of this. But, um, yeah, not great. Not a good look. So they're giving him one year, so he's going to be out before the season's over. Oh, no. I feel like you got to at least keep him in there for the Ohio State-Michigan game. Like, I feel like that at, at the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, some more happy news in the Midwest, the Rust Belt. Three Miami, Ohio players suspended for a frat fight. Did you see this? I uh, I heard about it. I don't know all the details. What you got? Every, you had the details. Did you know there was an Oxford, Ohio? First Ox- off, didn't know there was an Oxford, Ohio. But I is guess that where Miami of Ohio is? Apparently. Oh, um, I would have thought it was in Miami. <laughs> they were charged with assault and criminal trespassing. Um, let's see. Yeah, two counts of assault, two counts of trespass, disorderly conduct. Um, police responded to a large fight at the Theta Chi fraternity house at around 11.20 p.m. on October 3rd. Some people were uh, reportedly assaulted with golf clubs. Wow. Man. You do some damage with a golf club. That's just not fair. Pulling out the golf clubs, that is... I, I keep a I keep a seven iron in the uh, in the in the trunk of my car just in case you know someone wants to while out. I got a some road rage going on. I you just gotta be you gotta be prepared. Could it, could a golf club stop Zeus if he turned on you? Um, <laughs> Zeus would never turn on me. But if he did, if he did, would you be able to stop him with the golf club? Ah, uh, who knows, man? He's a beast. 
I would never hit Zeus with a golf club. I can't, I can't even put myself in this hypothetical situation. You literally live with a 300-pound behemoth that... Well, he's, he's, a, he's a sleek 125, all right? <laughs> you, uh, you bite your tongue. You don't want to make any enemies with, uh, with Tori on this podcast. Well, hold on. That is implying that we weren't already enemies. <laughs> no, not at all, man. Oh, am I back in good graces? Am I back? Did she forget? Yeah, you're good. You're uh-huh. good, man. For sure. I'm back. I'm back. This is good. Um, so then I'll just... Oh, yeah. Cut. She's one of she's one of our, the, the two most devoted listeners to this show. Every, uh, every, every week, she's on there twice a week listening to uh, what we got on college football. You know what it is? She's just making sure that's what you're actually doing. When you're like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a couple <laughs> hours and... She's like, you're doing another podcast? Is that really what you're doing? They do that many? She doesn't believe you. So she's just checking to ensure that that is actually what you're doing when you're hiding out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Moving moving on. Uh, now, can we get in to where we're at picks-wise? Can you refresh the listeners' memories as to where we're at? Because... I seem to recall on a Sunday show that uh, it was a big weekend for me and that I am right back into the thick of things here because my perfect, fantastic, beautiful conference, the Big Ten, is back playing football for my for my uh, my pleasure. So there we go. Where, where are we at? Well, um, I'm going to get to the picks. I wanted to get one more headline in there. Mm. You've seen uh, Kylan Hill has opted out, right? Is he... So he opted out. I saw he wasn't playing this week again. Yeah, so he's opted out. Three Mississippi State dudes are transferring. Also, like one of them, one of them was a uh, backup quarterback. One was the guy who was the quarterback last year. You remember that Kansas State game, dude? Like, did the helicopter? He was like oh. ten <laughs> in the air. That dude's a wide receiver now, apparently. But he he transferred, and then a backup lineman transferred. So, don't know what's going on at Mississippi State. But more importantly, with Kylan Hill, now we've seen Puka Williams and Kylan Hill. This is back-to-back weeks. Big-time dudes opting out after their team gets off to a bad start. I feel like NFL people are going to say this has no bearing on their NFL draft stock. But it would just be hard for me to ignore a guy just bouncing on his team like halfway through the season. Like, that's just a bad look to me. It's like we're, you know, you're, you're a... These are your brothers in here, and you're just like turn your back on them after a one and four start. It's like I don't know. If I was an NFL team, I would I would guarantee that would just make that guy slip a little bit in my mind. I want dudes that you know that want it. You got we need some soldiers here. That's my take. What are your that thoughts? That's a spicy take, Matt. Um, I think there is a difference. I think you have to, I mean, you have to look at everything individually and like, we really just don't know what's going on behind the scenes at a lot of these places. So we don't really know. I think Puka had like family COVID stuff that was going on, um, that his decision was a little bit different than Kylan Hill and Kylan Hill had some other stuff going on weeks leading up to this. So it wasn't like things have been going swimmingly with him and Mike Leach all season anyway. Um, we also don't know what the players think about these players opting out we don't know if they talked about it before we don't know what the the atmosphere is in that locker room i mean it's been rocky to say the least since uh that opening win in lsu for mississippi state so we we really don't know and i'm hesitant to um just 
go too hard at guys opting because I this season obviously is just weird on a multitude of levels, but I don't know. I think it is a little bit different to your point opting out when your team's bad after one and four like do you think that some of these guys opt out if they get off to a good start like if they build off that lsu win does kylan hill still do this um i don't know and there is a difference of like not playing the bowl game like doing the whole season and then being like yeah i'm not going to come back a month later and do this and risk injury right before the combine the draft in a couple months so like i think there is a difference between playing an exhibition game after the season concludes and opting out middle of the season when your team is already kind of Kind of down. Exactly. I will, I will missing missing the Duke mayonnaise bowl. It's like okay, we don't, I don't think yeah. I don't think this is a big deal. You've you've been on the team the whole season. Like we understand the business decision you're making, but this seems like it is a business decision. It's like well, this team's not winning shit. I'm just going to opt out and train for the NFL. So it is the same thing, and a lot of NFL pros, uh, scouts and GMs might look at it the same way, but. I guarantee there's at least a handful of NFL front office people kind of like, really? I I feel like I would I would judge a teammate for uh, for turning his back like that. I don't, I don't know. And I thought what was telling, too, is Mike Leach who said, I haven't even talked to him. I, I've heard he's opting out and he's preparing for the NFL. It's like, and that just speaks volumes. Like, this is the best player on your team, and he didn't tell the head coach. And I'm not saying that's like a character thing on him. I'm just like, what's going on at Mississippi State? Like, I think this is the best player a lot. didn't the even guys feel. guys entering the portal and coaches just don't know. You're just alerting them. Like, those kids can just enter the portal without telling you. Yeah. So it's not a great, not a great, uh, look over in starkville right now but uh to the picks you are ready for the picks sir i am i i am ready so like you were uh, alluding to uh you had a you had an excellent week uh this past week went seven and four against the spread eight and three overall i was five and six against the spread and six and five overall but on the season we are deadlocked at 37 34 and one against the spread and overall, I lead 46 and 26, and you are 39 and 33. So I got a seven-game lead on the overall. So uh, should be another good one. You uh, you ready to jump in the games? You got anything to add? Uh, how many plays of 10-plus yards would you guess Vanderbilt has had to this point in the season? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm hoping not zero. I'll give it you can't be. They're literally tied with the team that doesn't throw the football downfield ever. The Army midshipmen. Wow. Or what the Army I... cadets, excuse me. Black Knights, whatever. Cadets, Army whatever. Black Knights, yeah. yeah. Navy midshipmen. Yeah. Um, I don't, what do they have, like two? 17. Okay. Not as bad as I thought. Do you know how many ten, Purdue ten has in one game? Purdue? Mm-hmm. How many do they get? 15 in one game. Wow. They're going to pass Vanderbilt in plays, first down plays in the first quarter of their game this week. Wow. That's insane. I guess I never even see 10 point, 10 yard plays. I never even oh, see that. Oh, you're going to love this. So, there's like everyone, everyone gets 10 yard plays. They don't even keep track of that. What are you guys doing up there? Go to cfbstats.com. Like the explosive plays is a big thing for me. So, they track 10 plus yard plays, 20 plus yard plays, 30 plus yard plays. Um, Oh, that's good. It's really. Did you see? Speaking of, I kind of speaking of, uh, I'm tying this in. Did you see Georgia Tech's new uniforms? Yeah, they're busting out gold. They're wearing Saturday. What? Georgia Tech is not black. Like, what is that? Those are fire. Those. I mean, they're 
they incredible. look good. If Purdue or Vanderbilt was busting out those uniforms, who cares like, about the rules? Oh, they look great. You gotta keep your colors, man. That's no, like you the don't. only thing you have is the colors. Like what? unless you're sneaking in like another like TCU sneaking Tennessee in that. Doesn't really have any black. And when they wear the black and orange, they're incredible. That's see, that's different. Busting out a black when you're a team that only has like one color, like that that's that's a little different. We're busting out the gray for like the Smoky Mountains. Completely different. Georgia Tech is navy and gold, and you're going to bust out a black jersey? I don't know. I hate it. I'm a I'm a big uniform guy. I hate when people rock like terrible uniforms. You Those know? aren't terrible though. They look amazing. They they are tight uniforms. I will I will I'll take that back. But Georgia Tech is just not black. It's just <laughs> grinds my you know gears. This is. If those you know uni- this if those is. uniforms I know this are is. navy. I know what this is. What is it? It's that they're going back to black uniforms before Georgia does. That's I need to say something like that. No, it's navy. If they would rock no, that's those what it is. uniforms, but be navy, it's like that's Georgia Tech's color scheme. Like that's, I don't know. That I just I wanted to get off on. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I had to mention that cool uniforms, but they just they don't look like Georgia Tech. You sound so mad. that's that's you my biggest thing. That Georgia didn't your, your uniforms. It's your identity, man. It's like when I turn on the TV, I should know who I'm watching. That's that's my. I think well, that's we watched a lot of Georgia Tech this year. Maybe they don't want people to know who they're watching. <laughs> that's that's a valid point. That could be what it is. But um, we'll get into the pick'em now. That's just that's what grinds my gears on the uh, on the uni watch uh, front. Deep but um, so starting off, speak- I do. I need to get that off my chest. But uh, starting it off, uh, like you said, with the Georgia Bulldogs, they're a noon kickoff on SEC Network. 14 and a half point favorite at Kentucky. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, it can't be any worse as a watch than last year's game, which still might be the worst college football game I've ever sat through in my entire life. It can't not, be worse. I, it's not the worst Georgia game. I remember the 9 to 6 Missouri game a few years back, uh, Georgia Missouri. At least someone scored some touchdowns in the second half of that one Jake last. From like did he complete one pass? I think he only completed like one or two passes in this game. It was something crazy like that. Jake Fromm was awful in the rain. Like last year I feel like we had like three or four games that were in the rain last year and he was awful in all of them. Like I think it was I think it was 0-0 at the half if I remember right. Yeah. And then I think Georgia won 21-0. But um yeah, that was a that was a super ugly game and Kentucky didn't even have a quarterback, and yeah, that was that was a hideous one. This one, I feel well, speaking like speaking of not having a quarterback, yeah, meet the exactly. 2020 Kentucky Wildcats because they're starting Joey Gatewood this week. Yeah, and I I feel like that can't be a good thing. I feel like Joey Gatewood has to be the most like said name in college football without ever doing anything. I feel like I've heard his name so many times at Auburn, so no, so many times Kentucky, and I've never seen him do anything. I feel like there's no way Kentucky scores double digits on more than 10 points, I should say. I on averaging this. 24 through. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way. I feel like 14 and a half is honestly kind of low, I was thinking. like I think Kentucky's got a respectable defense, but I see this being like a like a 31-7 kind of game. Like just, a, I think Georgia cruises in this one personally. The one thing I will say that concerns me about Georgia going into this game is that it seems like their bread and butter is still running the football, that that is where they just have the most success. And Kentucky's just got some huge 300-pound dudes up front. Like they, 
they are stacked on the defensive line. And I think Georgia will probably have some trouble against uh, Brad White and Mark Stoops' defense up front, and that Stetson's going to have to make plays through the air for them to really win this game. I could see a big, big game from your your new little weapon out of uh, Calabasas, the guy who terrorized... Uh, uh, Jermaine Burton. Yeah, Burton. I, I could see this being a big game for him. Um, but Kirby on Paul Feinbaum's show this week said, first thing you cannot do is give up 90-yard <clears throat> uh, pass plays. The explosive plays are what costs Georgia. Um, guess who's not going to have any explosive plays? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't see I don't see uh, Joey Gateway throwing any 90-yard touchdowns on Georgia. No. Kentucky is 69th in the country in total offense. Um, do you have any plays that Kentucky has had of 80-plus yards this season? Um, I, th- I would think most teams have zero. Uh, most most do. Uh, Georgia only has one. Do you remember who it was who had the 80-plus yard play? Was the James Cook? Was that an 80-yard play? Yeah. Okay. Kentucky has zero. So I don't think Kirby has to worry about Mac Jones just unloading the clip deep on uh, – on Georgia's defense this week. So I think they match up really well. I think this is a bad offensive matchup for Kentucky. They are not going to be able to coast like they have in previous weeks. I I think Georgia wins and they win comfortably and they cover the spread. Give me, give me the dogs as much as I don't want to say any of those words. <laughs> and then uh, moving on to our next game, uh, the noon kickoff. Every, I'm telling you every week in this conference, we get at least one quality game. The AAC, we got Memphis, uh, seven-point underdog on the road at Cincinnati. What are your thoughts? I've gone back and forth on this like 19 times today because Memphis beat this team twice last year, beat Luke Fickle's team. It's the same quarterback. Obviously, the Memphis lost a lot on defense. They're replacing a lot. Um, the Tigers, I saw this was an interesting nugget. They uh, haven't beaten a top 10-ranked team since Tennessee when they were number six in 1996. And again, Bring back Memphis, Tennessee. What are we doing, wow, folks? Wow, Memphis beat Tennessee in 1996. Yeah. That's a that's a huge time to beat Tennessee. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Bring it back. Let's let's go. Um, that's probably why we don't play them anymore. Is just like to avoid, uh, right? Great seasons and just can't even give them a shot. Yeah. To let that happen again. Um, since his defense is fifth nationally right now in yards per play, they're only averaging four. Point zero five, their ninth in tackles for loss and 18th in total defense. I thought this was pretty fascinating because this is going to decide the game. I think is Cincinnati has only allowed one passing touchdown and uh, Brady white and this group loves to loves to sling it. And if they are able to do what SMU was not able to do last week, because I think Brady, you trust him more than Shane Bouchelle, right? Like you're more of a Brady guy than a Bouchelle guy at this point. I mean, honestly, when I was looking at these teams, I feel like they're almost the exact same teams. And mm. talking of SMU and Memphis, SMU yeah. and Memphis are almost the exact same teams. That's why I feel confident about Cincinnati in this one. But I don't want to – I figured you were getting to your pick. I don't want to interrupt you. I, I think this is going to be a lot closer than SMU-Cincinnati. I think this will be close. I, I'm very fascinated to see if Riddler can pass the football because – he still struggles in that regard. I think Memphis has the quarterback advantage here, and I think SMU did last week, but Desmond was able to have those big running plays. Does he build off that and do it again here? Can he? Is he going to be in a situation where he 
like at Cincinnati's defense gives up a big play or two to start off and he has to go back and he has to unload the clip a little bit more. I'm curious to see what he looks like playing from behind. Um, he seems like a quarterback that might implode under those circumstances. So I, I don't know. I'm still not all the way in on Riddler, but, uh, give me Cincinnati, but Memphis covers. Oh, okay. Um, so I have a trivia question for you. Uh, two-parter. How many teams have played a college, an FBS teams have played a college football game this year? Do you know? Wait, say that one more time. How many FBS teams have played a game this season so far? What? Do you know? No. You don't know? No, no idea. 101 teams have played a game so far. Do you know where Memphis ranks in defensive yards allowed per game? I'm going to give me an, give me an answer. Well, I'm having to think about the amount of teams that have played. Cause the PAC 12 year. So like, I'm thinking about who we're dropping here. Um, 69th. They are a hundred and first. Oh God. Very last among any teams that have <laughs> played any games. Memphis has the worst defense. Like I said, I, just looking at SMU and Memphis, I feel like they're almost the exact same team, and you saw how close that game was when they when they uh, played each other. But statistically, it, SMU's defense is significantly better than Memphis's, and Cincinnati beat them 42-13. to 13. So I think Cincinnati easily wins this one at least by two scores. Okay. And then, and then moving on, we got to move to the Big 12. Maybe the most interesting spread on here – in my opinion, West Virginia being a three and a half point favorite hosting Kansas State. Chase, why is West Virginia favored to be Kansas State? So Kansas State uh, has a freshman quarterback, Mr. Howard, Will Howard, because they lost their quarterback, Skyler Thompson. That matters. Um, they blew out Kansas, but Kansas does not matter in the slightest. Also, West Virginia is undefeated at home, and they're just not built like the rest of the Big 12. Like, the Big 12 is offense, offense, offense. Um, but Neil Brown uh, has instituted a defensive-minded approach in uh, in Morgantown. They have the best defense in this conference uh, this season. I think that's going to be one of, uh, one of their calling cards along with Oklahoma State. Um, I think Texas Tech was just a – they're not as bad as their record indicates. Um, they hung with Texas. They beat West Virginia. I think Texas Tech is just – going to be one of those pesky four and six five and five kind of big 12 teams but i i like the advantage of dougie versus uh howard here i it's asking a lot for a true freshman to go on a road and beat a good defense like west virginia's um what was the spread one more time uh they're a three and a half point favorite yeah west West Virginia. virginia to win and cover uh west virginia getting the dub i will say they are three and oh at home this year but Baylor, Kansas, and Eastern Kentucky. I feel like I'm not, I'm not buying that. I, I feel like in general, West Virginia does kind of seem like a tough place to play, but um, that's got to be what people are thinking um, when they're looking at this spread. But uh, I got a trivia question for you. One player in FBS, or I should say in Power Five, I didn't look at all the schools, uh, <laughs> leads their leads their team in rushing and receiving. Who is that one player? Any idea? 
Wait, he say that one more time. The last part. One player in Power Five that leads his team in rushing and receiving. Rushing and receiving in Power Five. Um, is it in the ACC? It is not. He is in this game. He is and, in this game. And I'm I'm no going, going to tell you, it is Deuce Vaughn for huh. Kansas State. Interesting. Yes, sir. He's got 309 rushing yards, four touchdowns, 380 yards receiving, and one touchdown. Averaging 27 yards a catch. 13 catches this year. So I'm not sure. You, you uh, gave the case of why West Virginia is favored. I'm still not sure I understand. Give me Kansas State. I've liked how they've looked uh, the last few weeks. Keep keep rolling. Okay. And then uh, moving on to the AAC, UCF at Houston. What are your thoughts of this one? Oh, Another sorry. AAC UCF three-point favorite. Another great Big 12 1.5. I, I like it. Um, this is going to be high scoring. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, Heupel versus Holgerson is going to put up a lot of points. But <sighs> UCF got back on track last week. They've had some unfortunate losses. That defense sucks. They're one of the worst defenses in college football. But that offense, that offense, sir, Dylan Gabriel, big fan. So they're first in passing offense. They're averaging 435 yards through the game uh, through the air. Um the thing that I think I'm more intrigued by with them is that they're also 21st in rushing offense, averaging 211 yards per game. They're balanced a lot more than people seem to think because they just see Gabriel's uh, passing lines, but it's also they're, they're running the football and he's running the football. Um, I think that offense is just extremely hard to to beat several times this season. They're just so high-octane and so high-powered that uh, I, I believe that it uh, will be too much for the Houston Cougars. I think they're going to score too many points. Give me UCF to win and cover. I know you're a big offense guy. I am. Houston's offense is no slouch either. I really liked how they looked against BYU. Uh, I feel like for some reason, I I don't know. I just, I feel like Houston is going to get it done. I've liked Clayton Toon. He's at uh, seven touchdowns, two picks so far this year, averaging over 300 yards a game. I think uh, Houston at home. Give me the Cougs. And this then is uh, be a big week for me. I just I'm feel like back. this UCF this is where team. I myself as <laughs> we have team. had multiple disagreements so far. I just feel like this UCF team. They're just. They're not once. They're, they don't look like the, the same UCF of the last couple of years. I just. They don't seem as dominant, and that, that's why I'm going Houston. And then uh, this is our replacement game because Nebraska and Wisconsin. Uh, was canceled, so we. I would have never thought I'd see this team on the pick'em. Honestly, this game in general <laughs> sounds like the worst game ever. But Indiana's actually kind of good. But uh, Indiana, ten and a half point road favorite at Rutgers. Rutgers coming off the big game uh, against Michigan State. Their first. Oh man, I should have the stats in front of me. But what was it like? Twenty straight Big Ten losses for them. It was the longest conference losing streak in college football. Yeah, so Indiana's not turning this ball over seven times. Like, in five fumbles. Like, Michigan State fumbled the ball five times. <laughs> like, that's just, that's so fluky. It's one thing if you have a sick pass defense and you're getting five picks. But uh, five fumbles, just, they're not going to be able to recreate that. I'm, I'm taking Indiana on the road. 
Rutgers hasn't beaten a ranked team in 10 plus seasons. I Is that bad? It's not good. And <laughs> I think Indiana comes in here and they win comfortably. I think they win, they cover. I think Rutgers was a great story, but I think all the chips were just laid out perfectly for them to beat Michigan State. They remember Michigan State had to hire a new coach like the day before signing day. Mel Tucker got like five million. They backed up. They didn't want Mel Tucker. They wanted Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle is like close with D'Antonio, and he was like, "Nah, I'm good. I'll stay at Cincinnati for another race." And they went with Mel Tucker. And Mel Tucker with this group, that offense is just not good. They have problems all over the place. Like you said, the turnovers were insane. Um, Michigan State's just going to take time, and I think that's just a really bad situation. It's going to be a bad situation for a little while. Um, Indiana is not. Allen has stability there. They're intriguing on both sides of the ball. Penix is a lot of fun. I think uh, Indiana wins and wins comfortably, and I also think Rutgers is – they're not going 5-5 five and five in the Big Ten or 4-4 four and four or whatever. They're they're probably still going to go 1-7, 2-6. Like, they're still going to be bad. But they're going to be feisty. They're going to be the most interesting Rutgers has been in ten years since since the last time yeah, Greg Schiano was there. Time there, and they weren't even in the Big Ten at that point. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I like the Hoosiers here. Two and zero Hoos, and they shouldn't be in the Big Ten now. But that's a that's just a whole another well, conversation. Football, and you got to another birth place of college football in the Big Ten, which is the best college football conference so you got to have them in there that that is a fact princeton rutgers the uh, very first game in college football history <laughs> mm-hmm. learned that while i was working at the college football hall of fame but um uh moving on to the next one real disappointed about this uh this 330 cbs kickoff we got this week this i feel like every year this always oh you're disappointed be... by another sec game who would have ever foreseen such a development that the sec might not put out a great product week in week out who would have that's ever a, foreseen that's a valid point you did say that but this game i feel like i have such like nostalgia about this game because every year i feel like i feel like florida tennessee and this game lsu auburn were always like the first kind of like huge rivalry games of the season being like week four or so week five this year lsu and auburn oh i got a trivia question for you the last time that both of these teams came into this game unranked, do you have a guess, sir? Uh, I'm going to guess it was – was it a Gene Chizik year? It was not. It okay. was a long time before Gene Chizik. Okay. Hmm. Tommy Bowden? We're talking – that might Terry Bowden. That might be yeah. right. Uh, 1993. Last time, neither Auburn or LSU was ranked coming into the end of this wild. game. That is a long time. And it's just disappointing because this is supposed to be one of the best uh, rivalries in the SEC. And actually, fun fact for you, it's probably just because it happened so early in the year. Auburn went 11-0 and that year. Oh, you know what? That's the year they're on probation. I wonder if they weren't even allowed to be in the, in the polls. I feel like that stat kind of loses something. But... <laughs> 92 they weren't ranked either so maybe that was the one but um yeah it's crazy that it's been so long since either of these teams were ranked uh, and that's probably part of it too is they're they're ranking at the time is because this is always such an early game and so the sec usually kind of gets inflated preseason rankings but uh i'm uh, it looks like miles brennan is not going to play again this week but 
I mean, after seeing TJ Finley last week, I don't know if that's a bad thing. So LSU, I think going on the road, they're a three-point favorite at Auburn, and I think uh, I'm picking LSU to cover. I agree. I think LSU wins. They cover Auburn. They can only use so much devil magic to get to this point. Um, they're three and two, and like the worst three and two team in college football. The <laughs> thing that I can't I can't get away from is Ojolari. Is he related to George Ojolari? He is. He's younger brother. Okay. Um, their pass rush, like he was I a he was a Tennessee commit. Yeah. Uh, okay. We don't. Point. None of that. None of that matters. Um, LSU's <laughs> pass rush. They rank third in the country per PFF with a 86.2 grade. We've made a lot of jokes about their secondary getting roasted about Mississippi State, and their defense has not been great with Bo Pelini so far, but they are aggressive. They are getting after the quarterback. They are improving on that front, and I think Bo Nix, the worst thing that can happen is Ojolari at his back. We saw what happened when Georgia was getting to him. We saw how he implodes with pressure around him. He improvises. He's going to run around a bunch in this game. LSU, I trust their offense more. I trust that defense getting home on Bo Nix enough to really fluster him. Give me LSU to win and cover. All right. Yeah, I just – I don't even think Bo Nix is capable of just standing in the pocket and just passing. It's like the dude is just has the quickest clock of all time. It's just his first read's not there, he's taken off. And I feel like he's just got – there's plenty of times last week that he's taken off and he's not even under pressure. It's – I feel like Bo Nix is in his head right now because he should be after what we saw him as a freshman. I feel like he looks so much worse as a sophomore. I'm not really sure why, but um, moving on to the Big Twelve, the lone undefeated team remaining in the Big Twelve, Oklahoma State is a three and a half point favorite hosting Texas. We talked about Oklahoma State's. Uh, this is their the third their second of their four game slate that's gonna decide their season. I really wanted to pick Texas to get the upset. There's just I don't know. There's something I'm still not buying about Oklahoma State, but um, I thought Spencer Sanders looked good last week. He made some plays. He he kind of makes this offense a little more dynamic. So as, I'm not feeling good about it, but I'm I'm gonna go Oklahoma State in this one. I was hoping to rack up more easy wins this week, but unfortunately you have made the correct decision in picking Oklahoma State. <laughs> um, Oklahoma State's objectively good. They're good on both sides of the ball. Texas is not. Sam Ellinger is banged up right now. Um, would you like to guess how many times Oklahoma State has beaten Texas in the last 10 meetings? Uh, I'm say seven. It is seven. How Ooh. many of the last five? Is it all five? Four of five. Damn. They and one of those was that uh, they are and one of those is at Oklahoma State when Texas was like what top 5, top yep. 10 or something and they and they beat them. I try top Oklahoma 10. State. They haven't been they're top solid. 5 in years. Oklahoma State is just solid all over the place. They're solid on offense, they're solid on defense and this is rare cuz like the Gundy explosion is just we associate them with just high octane offenses and having shootouts with Tulsa to open seasons, but this is a different Oklahoma State team. So different in fact, that they have held their first four opponents to a combined total of 48 points. This is the fewest points allowed in a four-game stretch during Mike Gundy's entire time as Oklahoma State head coach from 2005 to now. He's a man. He's like 50. And he's got a good defense. 
<laughs> Shoot, he is he is fifty, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's getting fifty something. Um, that's a good call. I uh, it's just I wanted to pick it, but it's like I still I don't have any faith. I don't as as little faith that I have in Oklahoma State. I have way less faith in Texas. So. So we're both going Oklahoma State there. And uh, moving on, 4 o'clock in the ACC. These are two teams that you know I've had love and hate relationships with this year. Been on the bandwagon, been off the bandwagon. Virginia Tech is a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Louisville. So uh, Louisville, the home underdog. I feel like we both kind of talked it's about it last week. home game. dog of the week. Exactly. We both talked about it last week. I hate to steal your thunder here, but they were better than the one and four record that they brought into the Florida State game, and they took care of Florida State. It was really the first complete game they played all year, um, and I just think I think they're gonna have what it takes. I'm just not buying Virginia Tech right now. So give me give me Louisville. I agree. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense is quietly giving up 200 rushing yards per game. They obviously lost their best defensive player uh, before the season started uh, with a COVID opt-out. He's going to be a first-round pick, but um, this defense is not good. And, yes, they've had issues on offense with their quarterback getting injured. But Hooker, who is, like, I think they're leading, like, one. I think he might be second in rushing for them. Um, Their offense is solid, but their grad transfer from Kansas is really good. I'm blinking on his name at the moment, but he's been really good for them. I think their offense will score points. I think this will be a very high-scoring game, but I don't think that benefits Virginia Tech. I think that benefits Louisville with Mr. Hawkins and this group because I do think Hawkins and Cunningham run all over this Hokie defense and uh, get back on track. Do you see their uniforms? They're they're doing a blackout for this game. Oh, are they? I've not seen that. They're pretty. You know fire. what? As a uniform guy, and I, I expect they're a team to... that has black in their color scheme, so I'm all for it. Rock it, Louisville. But um, and Louisville's rocked black plenty of times. But it's just Georgia Tech, man. I'm not. I'm not against people rocking the alternate jerseys. I'm all for the alternate jerseys. The kids having fun. I'm not a get off my lawn kind of guy. I'm just like uniforms should look good, and they should look like who you are. And I thought I thought those were Purdue's uniforms, not Georgia Tech. But I digress. Mm. We well, agree again. Where are we going next? And we're going back to the SEC. Uh, this was a this was a tough spread for me. I thought the everyone's darling this season, the Razorbacks, going on the road, eleven and a half point underdog to Texas A and M, going to Kyle Field. Can I rant about the Razorbacks? Go for it. One second. Jeremy Pruitt is talking about another good week of practice today. And I'm listening to his press conference. I'm listening to what he's saying. If I hear we're having a good practice and we're we're closing the gap one more time, I'm going (laughs) to throw my laptop out the window. This is year three. It's year one in Fayetteville where we all just penciled in 0-10 for Arkansas. Just penciled in in 0-10. There is a case we made they should finish 6-4. There was an outside shot that they could finish seven and three if certain calls go their way. He has completely transformed that program right away. Greg Schiano went in and immediately ended the streak, the Big Ten losing streak for Rutgers in game one. This idea that it's just going like the the timing and that you can't turn a program around with the right coach very quickly is silly. It's just silly. 
And Sam Pippen deserves all the credit in the world and that staff for turning it around. They hired the right people. Barry Odom just knows how to coach defense, and that dude is going to get another head coaching job because he's just too good for this. But it, kudos to Arkansas. Shame on Tennessee. I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle the, <laughs> we just need time. Because these programs didn't even have a spring, didn't have a summer. And Arkansas is like, yeah, that's fine. We'll still just go ahead and exceed expectations to a colossal extent. Spare me. That is my rant on the Razorbacks. <laughs> so then what does that mean for this game? So this game's going to be interesting because these two teams are like kind of like identical. We both don't love their quarterbacks. We do, like we don't love what they got back there, but they we do love Raheem Boy, we love Spiller. Like both teams love those guys in the backfield. We don't we love their offensive line like Texas A&M may have the best offensive line they've had the entire time during the Jimbo era. Sam Pittman talked about it. He said it's the best one he's seen in A&M. Um, the Aggies are second in the country in sack rate, which is part of the reason that Kellamon's having more success and part of the reason they were able to beat Florida is Florida was not able to get home on those Grantham blitzes. Um, and they're 20th in power success rate. So that is that is huge, which is a third or fourth downs with two yards or less to get converted. They are getting enough push, essentially, to get those important first downs. I think Texas A&M wins this game. I think this is very close. I think this is a very just big boy football, like old school SEC game where both quarterbacks just tried to limit mistakes and do enough to get their team down the field and kick some field goals. I don't think we're going to see a lot of touchdowns in this game, but uh, I trust Texas A&M just a little bit more at this point. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun. I'm very interested in seeing this game. I think that's a, a good point uh, when you talk about Texas A&M's offensive line and not just pass protecting. They're right now they're third in the SEC in rushing offense too. And so as good as Arkansas has been, I feel like it's been a little like smoke and mirrors. And you know, it's also the opponents. It's like Auburn, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Like Ole Miss, they you know they did just hang 600 yards and 49 points on Alabama the week before they played Arkansas. So that was. That was definitely a big-time defensive performance to limit Ole Miss's uh, offense like they did. But they've also done it with with turnovers. And I'm not saying turnovers aren't sustainable, but it's also – I just don't know that they're going to get all those turnovers. And if, if, if Texas A&M is able to run the ball, and Arkansas is the fourth worst against the run so far in the SEC this year – if, if Texas A&M is able to run the ball, I trust Kellen Mond a lot more than uh, than Felipe Franks, personally. Neither of them is is great, but I like Kellen Mond more. And, yeah, I think they're going to have success running the ball, and I think that's why Texas A&M, I think, probably wins this game by two touchdowns, like a 28-14 kind of game. All right. Where are we going next? And then our, our final game in the SEC, if this one even happens, honestly, I feel like by the day, it seems like this game's going to get postponed. But going to the Swamp, there will not be 90,000 people in the Swamp. And Florida is a 13-point favorite versus Missouri. I just feel like with two weeks off, more guys, I think six more players uh, tested positive for COVID after they came back on Monday. And next to Ole Miss, I mean, Florida's had the worst defense in the SEC. So... I just I feel like 
with with a uh, Connor Basilic Basilac, how you pronounce that guy's name. Um, he's started to find it in the last couple games, averaging over 300 yards per game in the games that he started. Even though all four of his touchdowns. Are you about to pick Mizzou over Florida? Not not to win the game, but all four of his touchdowns were against LSU. So they all came in one game. But I feel like with the two weeks off and. You know, just all the uncertainty going on with Florida and how how bad their defense already was. I definitely think Auburn or Auburn. I definitely think Missouri keeps this within thirteen, but I'll, I'll take Florida to win. Uh, so Mizzou, their calling card on defense has been run defense. Uh, that will not matter with Kyle Pitts and Mister Tony in play here. Uh, Florida is averaging forty two point three points per game. Uh, Mizzou's offense cannot come close to forty two point three points per game. They are a dink and dunk you to death team. They do not go downfield at all. They are going to play not to lose in this game. They are going to lose by a lot of points if this game is actually played. Uh, Florida will win handedly. They're going to score 40-plus points. Mizzou will score 20-ish points because Florida's defense is still just bad enough to allow them to get a little bit more than they should. Uh, But Florida wins big here. Give me the Gators. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like I I don't see Missouri scoring less than like 28 35 points in this game. It might not be enough to lose. It might not be enough to win, but I think they keep it close. But uh, in our game of the week, we go to uh, our college game day game of the week, actually. We go to Happy Valley. Penn State is a 12.5-point underdog at home to Ohio State. The last three games between these teams have been decided by a total of 11 points. So they've played some close contests in, uh, in Happy Valley recently. Ohio State is two and one in those contests, but uh, what are your thoughts on this one? This is interesting because zero and two Penn State. That means I mean, there's only eight games, <laughs> and starting zero and two, it's just brutal. Um, I don't think it's going to be indicative of who they are as a team. I think their defense looked really good against Indiana throughout. Um, this defense is going to be strong. Um, they allowed 150 yard fewer than 150 yards uh before that last drive to get indiana back in it um i i just the one thing about ohio state that i'm concerned about and the difference between him and trevor lawrence and the other powers especially in alabama too and that separates ohio state to me at the moment from clemson and uh alabama in a negative way is that justin fields is gonna have to do a lot more than et than uh Lawrence and Mac Jones will have to do for their teams to win football games. Uh, I'm a little concerned about Master Teague and Trey Sermon. The Fields was quietly the leading rusher in that game against Nebraska. I I don't know. I'm just a little concerned that it might just need to be too much Fields perfection for Ohio State to to just go through everything. Like they need a Dobbins, and then they don't have a Dobbins this year. And I'm kind of kind of curious at what this looks like over the course of a full season these are rich people problems for sure but i do think fields is gonna have to be almost perfect again in this game and penn state is a better team than nebraska on a much larger scale and this is at happy valley no fans really but uh, so it's gonna be a different atmosphere but i do think this is gonna be very close i think this is gonna be a very close game um give me the buckeyes but penn state covers Penn State to cover. At this point, I'm going to pick Ohio State until they prove me wrong. Yeah. I feel like they seem like a flawless team. 
Um, like you said, their running game wasn't that great last week, and the defense did give up some uh, some yards on the ground. But um, after Journey Brown already being out for this season, now uh, it's been announced Noah Kane is also out for the season. So that's the Penn, Penn State's top two running backs. I don't feel like they're going to be able to run the ball in Ohio State. Not nearly as effective as Nebraska was, at least, especially with their with their running quarterback. Um, Clifford can run, but I feel like this entire game is going to be put on his shoulders. Uh, he has two games in his career where he has 35-plus pass attempts. Penn State is 0-2 in both of those. Indiana last week and Minnesota last year. Um, and I just don't see him doing enough. I feel like there's... I could see Penn State being in this game into the third quarter, but it almost kind of feels like maybe how, how Georgia Alabama went. You know, maybe they'll they'll give him a, a game, but then everything is going to be on Sean Clifford to keep his Penn State in this game. And I feel like just a mistake here and there is going to lead to Ohio State winning this game by probably three touchdowns. All right. Well, let me. And that is uh, that's all for our pick, I'm sir. All right, well, let me run through the remaining games that we are not going to get into in full detail, but if you have something you would like to add about any of these games, feel free to chime in. Matt, Friday, Maryland hosts Minnesota on ESPN. Um, Minnesota, an opportunity to bounce back. Hawaii, 945. We're getting closer at Wyoming on Friday night. I'm I'm happy. (laughs) Um, Marshall at FIU got postponed, so the team most likely to go undefeated this year is not playing this week. Um, the noon slate this week, not good. Going to go ahead and tell you Boston college at Clemson, Georgia at Kentucky. Um, I think I might focus on Cincinnati, Memphis. You know, what's sad though, is that Michigan, Michigan state's happening this week and they did not make our pick them because of how bad Michigan state looked and how good Michigan looked. So that's probably gonna be a bloodbath. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Cincinnati, Memphis is looking like our best noon kickoff. I like it. Um, Iowa State bounces back at Kansas, a much-needed uh, bounce-back game for them. Uh, let's see, any other? Oh, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame at uh, 3.30. Uh, don't think that's going to go well for the Yellow Jackets. Um, Baylor, TCU, and maybe the most unwatchable Big 12 game in our lifetime. If you want to look at some just eye-popping numbers, look at uh, Baylor's offensive numbers through uh, their first couple games this season. Northwestern comes to Iowa, a desperate Iowa team coming off a loss at Purdue hosting Northwestern who beat the living crap out of um, Maryland last week. Uh, We got Ole Miss at Vanderbilt, finally getting win number two for the SEC coach of the (laughs) year, Lane Kiffin. So shout out to him getting that done. Well, Sam Pittman's definitely the SEC coach of the year. No, Kiffin going at the SEC publicly and like giving them pennies for his fine is coach of the year like automatic he he's he's already won um he's won over the fan base that's for sure like not even just their fan base like everybody's fan base um let's see was there any other alabama hosting mississippi state gonna be a bloodbath at seven uh we got uh navy at smu we got north carolina at virginia which might be sneaky interesting possibly eight o'clock are you going to skip over the North Carolina rivalry of Charlotte and Duke? Are you just oh. going to skip over that game? It's big time. It's true. It's true. Now, keep, let's keep moving. Uh, Oklahoma at Texas Tech at 8 o'clock. Might be frisky. And then, 10-15, yeah. first-round quarterback, Zach Wilson. 
and the number 11 BYU Cougars hosting Western Kentucky. So they moot. They get another win here. I like it. 10-15. Tune in. Watch the Cougs. Yeah, BYU is making up for your uh, you missing Hawaii. Yeah. You get, get that one at 10-15. Yeah, UNLV, cool. Nevada. What is this nonsense? Who wants that in primetime? 10-30 on FS1. Get that out of here. <laughs> Nobody wants that. I think 10-30 on FS1 is exactly where Nevada and UNLV should be. <laughs> fair fair enough, uh, sir. Uh, so they're playing that game in the Raiders stadium. Yeah, they are. Okay, that's big time. With fans, I think. Is UNLV going to play all their games there? That's a good question. I don't know. But I, I, don't, I don't understand the logic of them allow, being allowed to have fans, but not Raiders fans. I don't understand that. Um, but <laughs> Logic went out the window a long time ago. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but that is not my problem. So, yeah, that is all I've got. Matt Green, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? That's all I got, man. All right. uh, you you enjoy your uh, your off week this week. Oh, it's gonna be great. Don't have to think T- about it. Don't have Tennessee to watch it. will not lose this weekend. <laughs> Tennessee will not lose a football game this weekend. I'm very excited about it. Um, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green. We can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. You can find me at Chase underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com today for access to all the episodes. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, what do we want the people to do, Matt Green? You gotta subscribe and five stars there it is five stars leave a rating tell us why you like us matt thank you so much as always sir and i will talk to you sunday yes sir all right we're back on jonathan taylor thomas talks major league baseball world series recap addition i'm still caffeinated with my delightful caramel cold brew are you a caramel person john i like caramel um i'm not a coffee guy but i, I do yeah. like caramel it's a delightful it's a delightful addition really to anything exactly caramel is great it's the best candy like snickers is snickers and twix are our best candies and guess what I'm, they both have i love caramel. twix i'm I'm more I'm more of a Milky Way guy than a than a than a what was the other one you mentioned Snickers I'm more of a Milky Way than a Snickers guy. I didn't know people were Milky Way people. Like I didn't know those people existed. Well, the best thing is is I know there's functionally no difference between them, but the Mars bar that's one of the underrated candy kings. <laughs> mm. The Mars bar. Are you prepared for Halloween? Is that are you going to have trick or treaters? How does that work in New York? How how did trick or treater? How does trick or treating so, work? As far as I understand, I've never trick-or-treated in New York because I, by the time I moved here, I was already – I moved here for college, so I never, I've never done the trick-or-treating thing around here. Um, my buildings – I live in a, in a big high-rise. There are like 70 floors in my building, so no one really trick-or-treats um, in the – I think people trick-or-treat in the building, but it's just kind of sad, the idea of just kind of going apartment to apartment and just mm. knocking on a door. That just – because like I grew up in a you know regular ass suburbs and you go house to house and that's you know that's that's trick or treating it's not door to door in an apartment the trick or treating I see in New York that makes the most sense to me is kids just going down the street going to businesses mm. like the hardware store and like um, various restaurants and and because you know, those places usually hand out candy um, and then of course there are always the parades I don't know if any of that's actually going to happen um, yeah. I kind of hope not because that all seems very dangerous but. 
I doubt our building is doing trick-or-treat. There never are, honestly, that many kids doing it. There aren't that many kids in this building anyway. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see. But I, I do plan on going to CVS on November 1st and just buying all the discount candy. Mm. Uh, that's something I'm going to take advantage of. Text me and remind the me real because pro move right I need there. to do that. Yeah, text me and remind me of that. I, I, I will let you know that that is a, a thing you should remember to do. Yeah. Um, also remember to vote if you have not already folks remember to vote yeah I uh, I did my early voting on Saturday stood in line for like two and a half hours got my vote in it was good nice do, nice. Your, do your voting isn't it crazy next week this is all happening yeah uh, oh lord <laughs> like next win- like today is Wednesday we're recording this on a Wednesday next Wednesday a week's time our lives will be completely different the world would be completely different. One way, or th- one way or the other. Yeah, one way or the other. I wonder which way the listeners think we are we are leaning on this podcast. I wonder which way they think we lean. <sighs> I really don't know. Everyone, like it's, please go. I am excited, but I'm very nervous. <laughs> like I am both excited and very nervous. Because, I'm, I'm scared to shit. I'm yeah, terrified. Because my prediction, I don't think a lot of people want to hear. I, I don't know if people if. They side on my, because my instinct is my my strongest instinct, and I don't like this. I hate this being my instinct, but based on everything I read and everything, like gut, my gut, I don't know if you're the same way, it's just the person in charge right now is still the person in charge, but Democrats get complete control, and we just get nothing done for four years. That is what I think is going to happen. I, I really, I'm hoping for... Democrats take it all over, but I mean, I'm. I thought you were going to say like Trump and seven or something. Mm. <laughs> like it's, it's either a, it's either a Biden it's either a it's either a Biden sweep or Trump and seven. Like that that's how I feel yes. like this works. And I think that's to I'm betting to, on the latter, and then Democrats winning everything in, in the Senate <clears> and House <throat> because we can't have nice things. Yeah, well, no, we're not allowed to have nice things. MLB already showed that we're not allowed to have nice, or at least they're not allowed to have nice things because of their own rank stupidity. Did you see the before we started recording the the note from Major League Baseball? I did. It did not surprise me in the least that they <laughs> threw all of the blame on Justin Turner and were basically like, "We told him not to go out there, but he did it anyway." And I guess there was nothing we could do. But there's not a single word in there about like, "Hey, he got an inconclusive test before the game. Shouldn't that have stopped him from playing in the game?" I, I imagine we're going to talk in detail about all this, but. Well, let's it's just get into so it. I mean, that's the, me. the biggest story coming yeah. out of this game, and it's it's a shame. Which is the stupidest part. That's like the Dodgers won a World Series, a very good World Series, really all told, including one absolutely classic game in Game 4, mm. um, a really tense, well-played game in Game 7, or Game 6, rather, with a, with a managerial decision that people are going to be yelling about for a long time in, in Blake Snell being pulled. A-Rod's and handling course, it well. Um, Aaron handling it brilliantly, um, blaming cybermetrics or whatever it is exactly <laughs> he said. Um, and of course, of course, the storyline coming out of that is that a player tested positive and had to be pulled mid-game. It's it, it's just it's mind blowing that that it's it's perfect it's perfect because that's what exactly what MLB deserves after a season where they basically just tried to pretend coronavirus didn't really exist. Um, it's perfect given the way they handled the, the World Series in general, which was let's have it. And I, I understand why Texas was chosen to a certain degree um, because it has a roof, because it's, well, mostly because it has a roof. Um, 
you know, let's put the World Series in a state that is seeing thousands upon thousands of cases every day and is a, just an absolute nightmare hotspot right now. Let's invite fans to the game, despite the fact that there is no... What was that based on? What, sci- what science could Major League Baseball have pointed to in having fans at those games that said, no, 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 this is safe? There's absolutely not. There's not a single thing they could do. It's just because these people will pay to be here. And then every time they show crowd shots, you have half the people wearing masks and half of them with around their around their chin or not covering their nose or just not visible at all. And so, of course, the only way this can end is with Justin Turner popping positive, right? Like having that announced, I, I, I don't even think we got like two minutes into the game being over before Kevin Burkhardt said that on air, that Turner had tested positive and that's why he'd come out of the game. And then, of course, now we get these very confusing, um, and confusing in some part because you know, there were conflicting reports. I know Ken Rosenthal's initial report, he had to kind of walk it back a little bit. But the, the timeline for all that, I mean, the, as far as I can understand, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, the basic timeline, as far as I understand, is that Turner took a test on Monday that came back inconclusive on Tuesday, that they received word of the inconclusive test sometime on Tuesday. So they then turn, turned around and tested his, the, they, they did a second test with, I, I guess they had enough for, for two tests or whatever, that one came back positive, and the and the team and league learned about it in the middle of the game. The second does inning, that, I does that I sound think it, yeah? Because like there was a report from Rosenthal who said that afternoon, and there's a very big difference between yeah. learning in the afternoon or learning in the second inning. Yeah, and regardless, they learned at some point, and okay, fine, they they pulled Turner at some point. But here's the thing: an inconclusive test, and this is. I assume if you were to talk to any public health specialist or epidemiologist or anyone who understands this stuff at any level, they would tell you if someone tests, if someone has an inconclusive test, you should treat that like it's a positive test until you get proof one way or the other that that person is not COVID positive. That person, like Justin Turner, as far as like, as far as I can understand, based on the guidelines that exist around COVID and coronavirus, should not have been allowed to play in that game. The moment that test came back inconclusive, he should have been quarantined and isolated, and he should not have been allowed to play. I mean, it's just as simple as that to start. On top of that, to let him go back out onto the field with, like, like, occasionally wearing a mask, further exposing everyone. I know that, that, you know, I think, forget it was Andrew Friedman or Dave Roberts saying, you know, well, we've been around him the whole time. Like, he's really not a exposing anyone who hasn't already been exposed. Fine. Okay. I get that. What about the families? What about, what about those people? And as we, as we've seen already, like I'm, the, the one that always stands out to me is, is the case of that wedding in Maine where like 300 people got sick from it. And a lot of the people who got the, the, the few people who died weren't even attending that wedding. They just happened to come in contact with someone who did attend the wedding. You know, maybe there's no danger to anyone who was actually on the field, but what if one of them, what if, what if one of them uh, catches a virus and unwitting passes it on themselves. It, it, it's just how do and, and and I know we just mentioned the MLB statement. And MLB's like, oh, we told him he could not be out there, but he insisted. Like, lock him in a room. Yeah, do it's not y'all, like y'all have the power. Play field, not have locks. Can you not put like a security guard on the door and be like, you cannot leave this room? I get it. I get that for Justin Turner, especially, and I'll. I'll the one note of sympathy I'll have for him because truthfully he is an asshole for having done all of this in the first place. I understand the idea that he just won a world series. 
It's the first World Series he's ever won. It's the first his team has won in 30 years. You know, he wants to be out there with his teammates celebrating. I completely sympathize with that. But that goes, that does not supersede the fact that he is currently contagious for coronavirus. You can't do that. You need to, like, I, I don't understand how Moby can just kind of, like, throw his hands up and go, well, we tried. No, you didn't. You really didn't. If you had tried, Turner would have never taken the field in game six. If you had tried, he never would have been allowed back on the field. Like, and, and it's just so of a piece with the way the league handled COVID pretty much the entire season, which was, we're just going to do the bare minimum. And in, and in some cases, not even that. You know, as we saw with the Marlins and the Cardinals, where they just had full-blown outbreaks and it took the league days to figure out what to do. Days. You know, or, or that, that element of allowing Marlins players, for example, to try to decide whether or not they were going to play, which is just something we really have not talked enough about as, like, as a as baseball fans generally. I, I do wonder, and I, I imagine it probably won't to a certain degree, because if there is one element that, in which MLB lucked out here is that this happened literally at, as the season ended, there is literally no more baseball to be played. Now they can just kind of ignore all this going forward because now everyone's focused on other stuff. But it really does shine a light on just how bad the league was about handling this. I know that there was a long stretch where we didn't get any positive tests, or at least as far as we know, we didn't get any positive tests. And I'm sure the league can point to all of that and say, look, there were some positive tests along the way, but for the most part, like, you know, we were careful and we were safe and things went. You can't really say that when you have a positive test in the middle of a World Series. And you can't say that when you're having fans come into a so-called bubble that isn't a bubble. And you can't say that when you don't do anything to try to stop the guy who is coronavirus positive from being on. You just, you've thrown away every element of, um, you've completely thrown away the authority you have to say, we clearly handled this well. No, you didn't. You just got lucky. You got very, very lucky. I, I've, I've felt this way for weeks now, and this just confirms it. It is an honest-to-God miracle a player did not die this season. Or a coach, or, a, or anyone, anyone in, as far as we know, anyone involved with a baseball team who, who, is, who, is around, who is around the players or teams around, is a miracle no one died. Because it is really, really clear that MLB just, they half-assed this. And they half-assed this because I think, not even deep down, I think they fully understand. I think from Rob Manfred on down, everyone in the league office understands there's, you could either play this season safely or there is no baseball at all. And to play the season safely probably means that there's no baseball at all. Because that, that, that to me feels like the only realistic outcome. Because people bring up the NBA and, and then they got through their whole season with no positives because they had a bubble. They had an, a, as close as you can get to an actual bubble because they could just keep eight. And they also had far less the season to play and far fewer teams to worry about. And they could just keep everyone in Orlando for what felt like 18 months. It's a lot easier for them. It's not it, that was never going to work for Major League Baseball. Like that, a bubble system was never ever going to work. There's just no way to make it happen. So then that's so that's that's the choice only was left with. Either we we play the season safely or we don't play it at all. And to play it safely probably means we don't play it at all. So they tried to chart that middle ground if we play it as safely as possible. Except then they didn't even really go all that hard into doing it as safely as possible. They just pretty much threw their hands up and went, well, hopefully we get through this. And they did. And it's not because of anything. They, it's not because of any plans they made. It's not because of any vigilance on their part. It's because they got goddamn lucky. They got lucky. 
that this that this did not derail their season. In the same way that I I think we're seeing with the NFL, that the NFL has gotten pretty lucky that despite the staggering number of positive tests they've already seen, that they're still able to keep things going, which really says a lot too about just the the, the willingness sports leagues have, and and in in particular, you know, I guess Rob Manfred and Roger Goodell both that they are going to make seasons happen no matter what. That the, the most important thing to them is getting these seasons done. It's not the it's not the health and safety of players or team personnel or even the fans because you know the I mean there are plenty of NFL teams that have fans in the stands right now for God knows what reason beyond money. I mean, well, that is the reason. It, it, it's, it's, it feels weird that this all just comes down to basically saying like they did this because of money, because there is no argument you can make that there's no way you could argue that there was a safe way to play the MLB season or a safe way to play the NFL season given the, the given the inability to do a bubble. And they just soldiered on through it because, well, the games had to be played for because otherwise nobody makes any money. And they got lucky. They got lucky because they didn't take it seriously. It's very clear the players have not taken this particularly seriously. Like, Justin Turner clearly doesn't take this seriously. Um, they all got lucky, which is a weird thing to say about, you know, the World, the World Series gets overshadowed by a positive COVID test, but they really did get lucky this season with regards to how it all played out. I'm curious to see what he says in the coming days because, like you said, this was Turner? so complicated. Yeah, because in that moment, just I can't imagine what that would have been like for him to be separated and have to sit alone and like kind of put in a room during like what should be the best moment of his life, professional life. Like, and, and again, like, yeah, I sympathize with that, but like, but here's the thing, like, we have all had to make that exact same choice this year. I'm not disagreeing. Every last one of us. I'm what? saying like, it's the, the whole yeah, thing with like, emotion. Like there is an emotional element here that, that's why I'm curious to see what he says now that it's over. Now that he's had a day to pro- like, yeah, is he going to apologize? I, I want to see what I, he well, says. Here's the thing: I, I am sure there will be some kind of stage managed apology with a, a very like formal statement. Because the thing is, like as the, as MLB statement noted, Turner is going to face discipline for this one way or the other, which is going to be its own really interesting thing. Because I'm not exactly sure. Like, did we ever get an understanding of what, if any, like punishment protocols exist? for players who violate whatever COVID protocols exist? I don't think like, so. Did we I ever mean, see I'm that okay when it came to the Marlins him. and the Cardinals? Like, he should get and that's suspended. The thing. Like, I, I'll, be, I'll be really interested to see how the PA handles this, because obviously they're going to, you know, it's their job to fight for the players and, and make sure that they're not being punished unfairly. But, like, how do you handle something like this? If, like, I mean, regardless, like, he, you're right. He, he almost certainly will get suspended to some... I'm sure it'll be, like, two or three games, and that'll be that. But... And I'm sure he will have some actual formal apology where he says, my actions were selfish and whatever and blah, blah, blah. I got caught up in the emotion of yada, yada, yada. And again, I understand that. But like I was saying, and I know you get this too, it's like we've all, been, we've all had to separate ourselves from the people we care about and from the things we care about. And the, like, we're, like, we're not special in that regard. Justin Turner is not special in that regard. You know, he doesn't get to flout those rules just because he's a professional baseball player who won the World Series, you know? And... I guess which is all the way of saying, like, whatever apology Turner gives, like, I ain't going to believe it for starters. It's going to come off super hollow because, like, he can say, like, I got caught up in the moment, but, like, it's very, very, it's like, this isn't something where it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, no, it's very, very clear what you have to do. 
isolate and stay away from people, not be out there on the field, maskless with your teammates and kissing your wife and hanging out with families who, you know, where people might have at risk individuals within like one or two connections of themselves. Like that's kind of the thing. It's like, if, if, if Turner wants to say like, you're caught up in the moment, okay, I get it. But like, the guideline, or at least the guidelines on this should be clear. And I think this is where I fall, where I come back to blaming the major league baseball again, because it seems pretty clear to me that the guidelines were not clear for anyone involved. Because again, I don't understand how a guy can, te- can take a test, have it come back inconclusive and be allowed to play while they, while they figure out test number two. That's ridiculous. That simply cannot like, again, talk to doctors, talk to scientists, you know, I guarantee they will all to a person say, no. Once that test came back inconclusive, he should have been isolated and quarantined until the second test results were known. Like, it, it, how, how, how do you end up in this position if you're Major League Baseball? I mean, you end up there because you just you don't care and you never made the guidelines clear because this, this is the reality. If MLB had had to, like, have airtight, ironclad rules about COVID, about testing, about quarantine, about isolation, about all of that stuff, there would have been no way to play this season because any positive test would have basically stopped an entire team in its tracks for a minimum, like 48 hours, which we saw. I mean, we saw that with the Marlins and the Cardinals. They lost a whole week of the season each to, to COVID. I mean, this is, uh, this is the thing I keep, and I keep coming back to too. And I, I figure this will probably come up. What was MLB's plan if the Rays won game six? That's a good point. What what were they going to do? Were they going to put the World Series on hold while everyone quarantined for 48 hours? What if a second player had tested positive? What if, what if Turner had caused an outbreak on the Dodgers roster? I mean, that still could what happen. What do you do? You just, <laughs> that still could happen. It just won't matter now, at least with regards to you know, wins and losses. But like, what if, what if Turner had caused an outbreak? Yeah. Would the World Series have just gone an indefinite hold until the Dodgers were all healthy again? Like, that's the thing. Like, that's why you need these ironclad rules and restrictions because otherwise you just open yourself up to this world of, of, of theoreticals that you don't have answers for. Or at least if they're not going to... And I know MLB's not going to give us answers because they don't want us to see the reality of it because the reality is MLB's probably just been making this up as they've gone along the whole season. And they've been... They've had, like, all the loopholes and flexibilities with regards to, you know, contact tracing and who counts as being in close contact and whatever all designed so that this can all keep going. I'm sure in some way, fashion or form, MLB would have found a way to say, well, Turner's only been around his teammates and they've all tested negative. So we don't have to stop anything. Game seven can happen as planned. So long as no one else tests positive, that's probably what would have happened. And it would have been an absolute like, I don't know. It's just incredible to me that this, that this is how it goes. Like how, how, how does MLB just handle this so poorly? Like, Rob Manfred is there. He is literally there at the stadium. He knows Justin Turner tested positive. There's no way that that Rob Manfred doesn't know that. How does he not make it immediately clear to Justin Turner, if you come out onto this field, you are indefinitely suspended. Immediately. He can do that. He's the commissioner. He can do whatever he wants. He can make it abundantly clear to Justin Turner that you cannot be out here if he cared about taking the shit seriously. And he very clearly doesn't. Like, I didn't, I didn't listen to the great majority of the post-game interviews on the TV because I actually had it on mute while I was just uh, reading other stuff and, and, and taking care of some other stuff. But 
I don't get the sense that this was a particularly like well discussed topic, either in the post game interviews with 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 Dodgers players and coaches and Dave Roberts and Andrew Friedman, or that or with Rob Manfred during his admittedly very bizarre uh, trophy presentations when he just I, I don't know what I, I, it's obviously not as important as the coronavirus thing, but what happened to him during when he was speaking? He sounded like someone had like put him on like. On like seventy five percent speed, it was really bizarre. I don't know if it's just like the the, the booing during during the, the initial trophy presentation got to him. He clearly seemed like very like uh, affected by by the fans over there booing him. Which, dude, you got to grow a thicker skin, man. Like Gary Bettman's been eating that for like twenty years, and he's fine. And Gary Bettman's an idiot. Um, but regardless, like the whole thing was just a shit show from start to finish. And just, you can just, you get that sense of MLB just very quickly, like, like someone trying to clear out a party, you know, just trying to shove people out the door and be like, okay, great. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. While there's like a toilet backing up in the background. Like, no, 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 no. Don't pay attention to that. Everyone had a good time. Go, go, go. Leave, leave, leave. Like just trying to slink out the door as quickly as possible and just trying to pretend like all this shit isn't actually happening. And that's just kind of the sense you got from MLB the whole season. We're just going to try to pretend like this shit basically isn't happening. You know, ignore the fact that there are no fans in the stands. Ignore the fact that everyone's wearing a mask in the dugout or for the most part, you know, ignore, 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 just like focus on the baseball. I'm like, well, they got that, you know, and this is, this is the weird thing when it comes to us as fans and as, as media folks and everything else is like trying to square how much I love this sport and how happy I was to be able to see it this year, even if it was a mess and how great these playoffs were against they never should have all the season. It should not have happened because there was no safe way to do it. And just because MLB came out of this with only a handful of positive tests or whatever it was, and no one, as far as we know, dead, does not make does not make that decision any better. You know, it was unsafe in the first place. It was unsafe all the way through, and it was very clearly unsafe to the very end. You know, how do you square that as a fan? That's that, like, there's been so much about this year that has been so brutal to try to like um, figure out mentally, but that's been one of the hardest in terms of being a sports fan. Is how do you square all this? How do you make it okay, so to speak? You know, and I, I don't have an answer. I don't think anyone has an answer. I don't think I don't think there is an answer beyond you. As with everything else that we do this year, you just try to make the most ethical decision you can within the context you have, and and you know, with the knowledge you have and you just try to go from there. But I don't know. It's <sighs> This is definitely the new story MLB deserved, though, after the way they've handled things. On the field-wise. On the field. Do the Rays get back? Was this their best shot? Like, Morton's gone now. They're going to do some more Rays stuff. Morton's got, a club. Morton's got a club option for next year. I think the only way Morton is gone is if he decides he's done. Like I if thought, he retires, I think he might. Right, this is it. Or I, and I, it's a it's a good chance. Like I, I interviewed him for a story in during the 2019 season, and I never asked him directly about it. But I talked to I talked to Garrett Cole, who's one of Morton's like longtime friends. They were teammates, obviously in Pittsburgh, and then again in Houston. And Cole was, you know, I think probably knows Morton as well as anybody. And his opinion was, I don't know if he makes it to the end of his contract. Not be, obviously not because he doesn't want to play, but just because he's you know he's thirty six I believe he's got three or four kids like you know the, the sense I got from talking to Morton directly was you know he's ready to, he's when he decides it's time to go it's time to go and he's not just going to hang around for the shit of it 
much as I'm sure this season or this 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 result was hard for him, he at least already has a World Series ring from his time with Houston. You know, he he's not a guy either who's like a who's obviously in like an Albert Pujols situation where it's either I have a shitload of money I still want to collect, and or I have a lot of records or milestones to reach. You know, as I put the finishing touches on a Hall of Fame career, Charlie Morton's was a Charlie Morton's had a great few years. He's obviously not a Hall of Famer. You know, he's not a guy who's going to be challenging the record books. So I can totally see him just deciding this winter, you know what? I'm done. You know, this season was hard. I'm getting older. My kids are getting older. I want to spend time with them. Money doesn't matter to me. You know, there's no, I have my World Series ring. I can retire happy. So, yeah, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying, like, yeah, I could maybe they lose him. But I, I, I think if he decides he wants to keep playing, I think the Rays bring him back. It's $15 million for a season of Charlie Morton is a pretty good deal. Um, but all of which is to say, like, their one major club, their other club option beyond uh, beyond Charlie Morton is Mike Zanino, who I, I doubt, for as good as he is defensively, I kind of doubt the Rays will miss him if he walks because, boy, is he just terrible offensively. And I know catchers are not a thing. The catchers, good catchers don't grow on trees, but, you know, it's it, it's easy enough to, to get a better catcher. Um, the only other notable free agent they have is Aaron Loop, who was really good in the postseason, weirdly enough. I didn't see that coming. But, you know, it's a semi-fungible bullpen arm and the Rays are nothing but semi-fungible bullpen arms so the entirety of this roster barring some trades or non-tenders that the Rays make if guys are getting expensive and just looking at their contracts now like there there aren't any guys really come I mean Hunter Renfro might be a not might be a, a non-tender candidate because he's going to get a raise in arbitration um, but he only made three million dollars this year so I can't imagine it'd be too big of a raise Everyone else is either very early into their ARB career or still pre-ARB. So everyone on this team is really, really cheap. Um, the core is still good. They have, obviously, next year they're going to have uh, Wander Franco up at some point, Vidal Bruhan. They'll get more out of Shane McClanahan. Uh, maybe they will get something out of um, Brendan McKay. I'm not sure about Brent Honeywell. I think he blew out his elbow again. or He, he has some serious arm injury where I, I kind of doubt he's actually going to be a contributor next year, but they have enough guys. They have, their farm system is the best in baseball. Their team is young for the most part, um, aside from Morton and Kevin Kiermeyer. but that's, you know, and then kind of guys around the edges like G Van Choyer or Joey Wendell, but th- this core is, this core is not going anywhere. They're not losing guys to free agency. Um, it's young. They have a great farm system. Everyone is cheap. I mean, that's, that's the raise. I, I think they're still in really good position. The only question is whether or not they can do this again next year in terms of, you know, the Yankees are obviously back next year and are going to be very good again. Um, you know, can the Rays do this over a full season as opposed to a 60-game sprint? Probably. I mean, they, like the Dodgers, are one of the deeper teams in baseball. So I think they're in really good – I'd say – I don't know if they're the favorite for the pennant going into next year. I mean, there's no real way. I'm not going to make that pick now. But they're definitely up there. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly be comfortable picking the playoff team again next year and certainly comfortable picking them as a World Series contender next year. I just think the one thing with the Rays is, and I made this point on Twitter, kind of jokingly, but also kind of seriously, imagine what this team would look like if they actually spent money. Imagine if they tried. Imagine if instead of having to run out a lineup with um, with Joey Wendell and Willie Adamez and you know one of Mike Zanina or Michael Perez in it, which granted those guys are there not just for their uh, for beyond their, their offensive ability, also, especially with Wendell and Adamez, who are terrific defenders. Imagine if they, like, if, you know what this team needs to do? Sign Nelson Cruz. Boy, does this team need Nelson Cruz. How old is Nelson Cruz that now? Big, it doesn't matter. It, <laughs> I want to say he's, like, 40, just straight up 40. I'm actually looking it up now out of curiosity. But 
that's what this team needs more than anything else. It's just an established power bat in the middle of that lineup. He's, he's 40. He'll be 41 next July. Um, because you saw that. I mean, they hit a lot of home runs this postseason. They got a, they, a lot of their offense is based on home runs, which is fine. But imagine what the team would look like with consistent performance from a guy where just, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to uh, flip your lineup all the time or pinch hit everyone or rely on like suddenly G-Man Choi being good, which I love G-Man, but like that's, that's not a stable bet. It feels like, you know, I don't think, I don't think the Rays unlocked something with G-Man Choi that's going to turn him into the second coming of Luke Voigt, you know, actually also funny randomly while I'm looking at the Rays contracts on baseball reference, G-Man Choi's agency is called G-Man Sports Management. <laughs> like, the letter G-Man Sports Management. That's so perfect. Is there a way to get split in there purpose. at all? <sighs> I see what you did there. Um, yeah, I, I think the Rays will be up there. I just... And this is funny. The Rays, the Rays were as good as they were this year despite the fact that they had a terrible offseason, you know? Um, they gave away Tommy Pham and Jake Cronenworth for Renfro, who was awful. Um... They signed Yoshi Tsutsugo out of Japan. He was awful. Um, they, 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 the, the, the substantial, quote-unquote, moves that they made in the offseason really didn't pay off at all. You know? But that's the thing. Like, imagine this team, though, if they, aside from obviously trading for Randy Rosarena, but that, that took all the way till September until we figured out that that was going to be any good. Um, I think the question, with the, like, the thing with there is, yeah, they'll be good. It's just like, boy, it'd be nice if they would actually spend and get some, like, established players to get on this team. And I know that the Rays system is what it is because it relies on being, having a bunch of cheap younger guys who you can just swap in and out all the time. I mean, that's how their bullpen works. That's how their lineup works. You know, it's how they try to make their rotation work with Glasnow and Snell to the immense displeasure, I think, of Blake Snell especially. I, I gotta, I'm not going to lie, like, I, I, I got to get a notification for whenever Blake Snell's next Twitch live stream is because that he's liable to say some dumb shit. I, I'm just very excited for that. That feels um, like 19 years yeah, ago. Think... <laughs> yeah, Slapdick Prospect was a million years ago. I um, forgot all about that. Um, but no, I, I, the Rays, I think the Rays, this is, the Rays were no fluke this year. They're a legitimately good team, and they're going to be a good team again next year. I think it's just a question of, you know, what do, what do they need to add to make this team better? And I think it's more likely that you got to target some lineup upgrades. you got to get more offense, you know. Like, it's amazing they got as far as they did with basically only Randy Orozarena hitting and, and Kiermaier too, which is not something you can count on because Kevin Kiermaier is just not a particularly good hitter. He's fine. He's okay. He's not a dude you can count on when the postseason rolls around and be like, all right, Kevin Kiermaier is going to carry us to the promised land. That's not going to happen. You also um, just got to lean I mean, back into the devil race. We got to just bring it back full time. We got to yes, go back to the bring devil it race. Back. Bring it back. Look, we've, we passed the 20th anniversary of the devil race existence without getting the devil race throwbacks. But, like, who cares? Uh, round numbers don't mean anything. It's never too late to bring back the Devil Rays. You know, you know remember some guys like Esteban Yan and Dewan Brazelton and Canyon Sturts and Tim Beckham. You know, Randy Wynn. Tim, the, the OG Tim Beckham. Mm -hmm. Get Kevin Stocker out there. Mm. Bring out bring bring out Vinny Castilla and, like, oh. like 63-year-old Wade Boggs. <laughs> Braves legend Vinny Castilla. Oh, yeah, he was on the Braves for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I forgot right. about that. Him and, like, Andres Galarraga when they, when they randomly reunited the Blake Street Bombers. That was weird. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was weird times. Uh, still holding out hope for Chris Johnson as that third baseman of the future.
to replace uh, Chipper Jones. Oh, Chris Johnson. It's okay. Now you have Austin Riley, who's basically Chris Johnson, but with a little more power. So. <sighs> You're not ready to talk about the Braves, are you? I just... It, in some ways, it's nice to know that the team they lost to won the World Series. Like that's a good thing. It's like net like you lost to the best team. That that's okay. Like it's really really hard to get mad about that. But like having to throw Kyle right out there, having to be in a situation where you were so close, and if you had just not signed Cole Hamels, or you had just said, "Hey, we messed up. We did. We we signed a bat. We we signed a lemon in Cole Hamels. We we messed up here." Sorry about that, fans. But we know our offense is really good. We know we're getting an MNL MVP year from a guy who we don't know how much longer he's got at this kind of level of play. We've got Acuna and Albies locked up on ridiculously cheap deals. We'll throw you a bone. We'll trade for Lance Lynn at the, the deadline. You lost Soroka, too. It sucks. I know you fans have been there. So we'll, we'll throw you a bone. They didn't do that. And now you go into an offseason where, like, Marcelo Zuna is going to sign like a four-year deal with your Boston Red Sox or something. And no, new. I oh, I, I don't know what I don't know what gave you the impression that John Henry is ready to spend again. I think he's um, going to spend. I, I think this has been. A I don't bad know. Maybe, look. Mookie maybe Betts winning in this of, kind of shit for him. Yeah, I don't maybe know. an entire month of having Mookie Betts embarrass you on a nightly basis because of the dumbass decision you made. But I'm not ready to talk about that either. I think they're going to um, spend. But I mean, I, that is a, but I think that I think that is a good point with the Braves is like <clears throat> to get to get to the Dodgers side of it, which is not only did the Braves lose to the best team, they lost to like a historically great team. Like if this had been a, a granted a lot of a lot of conditionals are part of this, but if this had been a hundred and sixty two game season, that Dodgers team is winning like a hundred and twelve games. They only lost like one one series this season. They lost one. One series all year to the Colorado Rockies. How about that? Rocktober like, forever. Something that I think kind of gets overshadowed with this World Series, or that now has been a bit overshadowed, the, the Dodgers were just a better team the whole way through. Aside from the last four innings of Game 4, which were a total mess, and two Blake Snell starts, you know, neither of which, the first of which he got, he was cruising through four and then got knocked out in the fifth, the latter of which, you know, obviously Kevin Cash made the decision for him. The Dodgers were just better in every facet. Even bullpen-wise, they were better. And the Rays are the best bullpen in baseball. Like, this team is a juggernaut. And realistically, and I'm going to do the same thing now that I did with with the Rays and take a look, okay, like, you know, Dodgers-wise, obviously you don't have to worry about, like, oh, was it their shot? Okay, they they finally made the most of their shot. Is this a team that that is well-constructed to do this again next year? And the answer is, yeah, hell yeah. You look at their free agents. There's Turner, who I'm, I, if he if he wants to come back, I'm sure the Dodgers would make him a Dodger for life. Um, there's Blake Trinan, who okay, fine, he walks. All right, Jock Peterson, that might be a little bit of a tricky one since he does seem to be purely a platoon outfielder at this point. You know, guys on the the edge of the roster: Kike Hernandez, Pedro Baez, you know, Alex Wood, um, Jake McGee has a free agent option or a team option. I'm sure is not going to get picked up. But the point of that being, like, aside from Turner and depending on how charitable you're feeling like, you know, Peterson, they're not losing anybody. You know, all the core pieces are still there. Mookie, Kershaw, um, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, obviously. 
Um, they're going to get David Price back next year, presumably, assuming that the next year is at all normal. So that'll be an extra starter, which would be which. I made the point last night. It's like, boy, this team could really use a David Price right about now so they don't have to start Tony Gonsolin in the World Series. But they're going to have you know, a full season of Dustin May. They're going to have a full season of Tony Gonsolin. They, if they let Kike Hernandez walk, they can replace him with Gavin Lux. Like, this team is loaded to hell. It is such a, like, I forgot, I forgot to mention, like, Will Smith. I'll have a full year of Will Smith. You know, they're going to have a full year of Bruce Dargatterall. They're going to have a full... There's so many. They're gonna have a full year of Walker Bueller, presumably healthy. Like this team is already loaded as hell. And I know it's 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 always premature to say like, oh, is this a dynasty in the making? I mean, we all got burned on that by the Cubs, in part because the Cubs just decided, hey, we're not gonna spend money anymore. And if the Dodgers follow that same path, then we'll probably be saying the same thing about them. But boy, is this team set up to succeed long into the future. Like. I just, I'm nervous. Kirk, like the Braves, Kershaw, the Kershaw's Dodgers are going to be there. Is up at, at the end of 21, but the Kershaw. Braves, the Dodgers, that's the thing. The Dodgers are, for the foreseeable future, going to be the obstacle standing in the way of every National League team, and I guess and to a certain degree, every American League team, too. And while that's not like a, a you know, a, a built-in, like, titanium obstacle, I mean, the Nationals beat them in the Division Series last year, but I think we talked a little about the Nationals being uniquely well-equipped to beat a team in a division series the way they had things set up last year. Um, I, I guess that's the thing. It's like for all those NL teams who missed their shot this year, the Braves in particular, and less so the Padres, because I think we all agree the Padres are built for definitely built for the future. 2020 was just a, kind of a little bit of an early coming out party. For well, them. Also their ownership has but shown the more in, of a indication that they're willing to spend to, for a winner than the Braves have. And the Braves, yeah. guess what? They're cutting back. The battery not being a thing, I'm telling you, people need to prepare. The Braves payroll is getting cut. I just get get ready, folks. The payroll the, is going down. That's the thing. Like, I, I think if you are the Braves, the Cubs, like, and maybe, I don't think they're in that same tier, but maybe like the Cardinals, and the, the teams like the Cardinals, the Mets, the Phillies. You know, I, I think the, the Padres are probably the NL team, the non-Dodgers NL team that's in the best shape going forward. Everyone is young. Like you said, they have a willingness to spend. Um, you know, they're, they're just in good shape. Everyone else, though, they, like, they had their shot this year. Yep. And the Braves probably had, the Braves had the best shot of them all, and they missed. And now the end result is this team. I mean, this team was always, it was great for the last, like, eight years, regardless. It's not like them winning a World Series makes them, like, like suddenly more difficult to beat. But boy, is this team well set up for the future, and boy, is this team going to be in the path of every NL contender that tries to push them aside. Because they just showed all postseason, they will not be pushed aside. They will, they will, they are, they are either better than you, or they will just fight back and like suffocate you in the process. Because that's the thing, I think ultimately, for as good as the Rays are, the Braves are probably the best match the Dodgers had. They gave them the hardest fight, ultimately. And like you said, maybe maybe in an alternate universe where the Braves either have a healthy Cole Hamels or trade for Lance Lynn or, or Mike Soroka doesn't blow out his Achilles or you know any other thing, maybe it's the Braves who are playing in the World Series against the Rays. Maybe there's a parade going down whatever Atlanta's Main Street is. Probably has the word peach in it. I honestly don't know. <sighs> I mean, what is that? What actually is Atlanta's Main Street? And now I'm curious. Wait, what do you mean the Main Street? What do you mean like by if, that? If the, 
Well, like if the if the if the Braves had won the World Series and they were gonna and they said okay, parades on oh Peachtree Street on Friday or whatever, it would have been on Peachtree Street. Yeah. See, I was right. There we go. <laughs> Boom. It did have a peach in it. Okay. Um, like that Braves team, and I know like, I know we talked about this a little bit, and I know it probably hurts, but like that really was that shot. This shot that for that Braves team, and I'm not saying like they're not gonna be the Braves are gonna be good next year too. Like there's there's a good team. They've got a bunch of good young players. Like every everything is. I'm doing their their BP annual comments for this year's edition, and that's the thing that strikes me is how young this team is. Um, aside from Freeman, who's now a little bit on the older side, but he's really the only like notable piece on that roster where it's like, oh, okay, you're starting to get up there a little bit. Everyone else is young, and they have all these cool prospects coming up. But like, man, this they really of all the teams in the Dodgers' path this postseason really have to be the ones sitting back and going, God damn, did we miss our opportunity? Well, if you if you knew how the Braves looked at it, it's uh, they're going to be there every year because baseball works like that, where you are guaranteed to get back and have oh yeah, just look bites of the apple. Look at the Cubs; they're endless. They're, Cubs are Cubs are proof positive that you will just keep winning and succeeding and winning championships forever if you just do absolutely nothing. There's a team that I'm very excited to to just predict over and over again next spring. They're going to win like 78 games. Oh, the Cubs are going to be bad next year. It's going to be so much fun. I don't know why. I just don't have any sympathy for the Cubs or Cubs fans. Just give me Chris Bryant. That's all I want. I, just, I, I mean, I think they have to. And we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more. Like, well, we'll get into our offseason like, previews and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, I, I, I have to imagine that one of, the big, one of the big things of this winter will be the Cubs, the Cubs have to end it with Chris Bryant. Like, I, I don't see how that works going forward. Or just give us Udarvish. Can, can we get Udarvish? Can we get Udarvish? Can I root for Udarvish for my team for a couple of years? That'd be cool. Udarvish is cool. I like Udarvish. Yeah. All right, John. Well, that's all I've got. Um, getting into some off-season stuff starting next week. Excited about that. Um, yeah, all right, man. Well, uh, fun season. Enjoy doing these every week with you, man. And. Uh, we will yeah, get ready for the off season. A an off season where everybody will spend money. <laughs> it's gonna be great when we're sitting around like three weeks into pitchers and catchers and like being like, why does no one sign George Springer? <laughs> why is Marcelo like, Zuna still available? Bauer ha- it's gonna be one thing when Trevor Bauer hasn't signed because no one's offered him a sixty nine million dollar contract. Like nice. that's his own personal weirdness, but like yeah, this this is already like you can already get you already get the feeling, especially like in, in the way like like literally like right before the clinching game of the World Series, Rob Manfred is coming out and saying like MLB is like eight billion dollars in debt. It's like you're already priming the pump for such a bad off season. Yeah, when you're just coming out like before the World Series is even over, say the league is having financial trouble, you're really really trying to get us ready for a winter in which nobody spends, aren't you? That it'd would be, be cool my if the guess. Commissioner of baseball, like, it'd be cool if the commissioner of baseball, like, wanted to make baseball like attractive and stopped focusing on the stuff about baseball that nobody, like, not that nobody cares about, but that like, maybe the commissioner of baseball's job should be to make baseball like fun and not to be like we're losing money and no, so that way that for that reason no one's going to spend. Like, no one wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. But I, I got I got a lot of my own problems with Rob Manfred. I, I feel like Frank Costanza just the, I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're gonna hear about them. Oh, speaking of, I've been uh, I finally am watching season ten of Curb. I've been saving it 
for a for a treat and mm. quarantine. For and, a treat. Uh, it's uh it's been delightful. It's it's been very very great. The, the Frank Costanza just Frank Costanza the show basically. It, it's just wonderful. Also, Frank Costanza, um, Jerry Stiller, just so underrated in the early seasons of King and Queens. Yeah, rip, rip Jerry Stiller. Someone he is them. so I, I, damn good. That until we, until I mentioned Frank Costanza, I'd actually completely forgotten that Jerry Stiller died this year. I did not, unfortunately. That was that was a bummer. Twenty twenty. But I mean, he was super. He was sneaky, real... super old. Like he had a very long, great life. Jerry Stiller had a long, great. Yeah. Life. He did, but we'll just close out on that note. Rip, rip Jerry Stiller. Get an F in the chat for Jerry Stiller. There you go. All right, John, thank you as always, my friend. We'll be back next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.